Matthew chapter 26. And remember what has happened. Jesus Christ has been preaching. For three and a half years, He has been revealing Himself to Israel and into the land of Judea as the Messiah. He's come, and over and over again, they have uh, the, the Jewish leaders have wanted to kill Him because He was undermining their religious authority. And the sad thing is that everything that the religious leaders had been teaching was, was pointing to Him. It was all pointing to Him, and now He has come, and they want to kill Him. And over and over and over again, we have heard Him say, "'Mine hour has not yet come.'" My hour has not yet come. My time has not yet come, but now the hour is come. And Jesus Christ is going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. He is going to be beaten. He's going to be scourged. He's going to be spat upon. And He's going to be pierced. And He's going to die for the sins of mankind. His hour is come. And that is what we're going to look at this morning. And if you look, He's been arrested in the garden. And even then, He has been in complete control Look at verse, so we are in Matthew chapter 26. Look at verse 56. Matthew 26, verse 56. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And they that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Look at verse 59. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death because you couldn't find a real witness to say he had done anything wrong. So they had to seek for false witnesses. Verse 60, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Now, you know, that's not what he said. He said, if you destroy the temple, I'll raise it up again in three days. That's what he said. You see how false witnesses, they lie, twist the words of Scripture. And even today, the enemies of Christ twist the words of Jesus, don't they? Look what the Bible says, verse 52. I'm sorry, verse 62. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses, which, which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So what did Jesus Christ say? Are you the Son of God? He said, Thou hast said. And you're going to see me Again, who's in charge? Jesus Christ. Then look at, what it, look at what the Scriptures say. Verse 65, Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. Let me say this. Do you know that there are people all over the world, and I've heard this, I heard it last week. If Jesus Christ is real, why doesn't he show himself? If Jesus Christ is real, why doesn't He reveal Himself? He did. He's standing in front of them. The people that have spent their entire lives studying to find out who He is, and He's in front of them and they can't see Him. They can't see Him. He says in verse, the Bible says in verse 67, Now remember, this is Jesus. Then they spit 
in his face and buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? I want you to think about something. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, And I saw a great white throne, and he that sat on it, from whose face the heavens and the earth fled away, and there was found no place for them. And what happens? And all the dead, small and great, are gathered before him at the great white throne. And that man who hit him and said, Tell us, Christ, who is it that smote thee? They're going to be standing before him. Do you know what the amazing thing is? Those who did that, from that moment on until the time of their death, if they repented and received Jesus Christ as their Savior, they won't stand before that great white throne. That's the mercy of our great Savior. That's the mercy. But those who smote Him and those who hated Him, one day they will stand before that throne. They will stand before that throne. The Bible says, verse 20, chapter 27, verse 1, When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put Him to death. And you know that Jesus Christ is put to death in seminaries and churches all over the world. They don't want to believe in Him. They don't want to receive Him. And when they had bound Him, they led Him away and delivered Him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Drop down to chapter 27. Look at verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. They didn't know what they were praying, did they? Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be, to be crucified. I want you to think about something. He said, I have nothing to do with this just man. He was a just man. Pilate knew that he was a just man. Did, did he know that he was a just man? He did, and he said it, didn't he? He said he was a just man. He said it. Why did he scourge him then? Why did he scourge him? To try and satisfy the Jews. And to be scourged, remember what happened. Jesus, they, they took a, a, a staff, and on the end of it were nine strips of rope or leather with pieces of stone or glass in the ends of those strips. And he was beaten with that. So every time he was hit with that, it wrapped around him, and it dug into his skin and ripped it, ribbons of skin from his body all the way down to his ribs, ripped into the muscle, and ripped the flesh off of his body. That's what happened to Jesus Christ, our Savior. The crucifixes that you see with an effeminate man hanging there with a few dribbles of blood, that's not what happened. This is Jesus. He was scourged. 
verse 26 again, Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers, and they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they took thorns and they made it into a crown. They put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Someday, Jesus is going to be sitting on a great white throne. And these men that put that crown of thorns two inches on his head and pounded that into his skull and mocked him, they're going to stand before that king. They're going to stand before him. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to bow. Do you know the amazing thing about that? If at any moment, after they did this, they repented of their sin and prayed to that same Savior, He would forgive them. And He would save them. And He would love them as if they had never done it. And God the Father would love them as much as He loves His dear Son. What an amazing God. What an amazing Savior. Then look at what it says. Verse 30, And they spit upon Him and took a reed and smote Him on the head. And after they had mocked Him and took the robe off from him. Now think about this. He's already been scourged. That, that blood has been drying on that robe. And now they rip that off. And after they had mocked him, verse 31, and took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. Why? Because it would ease the pain. And he had to endure the pain for us. And they crucified him. Now that means that they took spikes and they drove them through his hands and they drove them through his feet and nailed him to a cross and they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And again, they think they're in charge. But Jesus knew everything that was coming. And this is my text this morning. This next verse is the verse that I want you to look at and remember and think about as we go through this. Verse 36, And sitting down, they watched him there. And sitting down, they watched him there. Now, I want you to think about something. Can you imagine that you've walked into the city? It's the day of the Passover. The, the Jerusalem is full of people from all over the world. And can you imagine seeing something like that? And what did these people do? They didn't look at it and hide their eyes. They sat down and watched it. It was their entertainment. It was their amusement. To some men, it has been given to be a witness at one of the great events of human history. On the cross, Jesus Christ conquered death. Remember what it said in Genesis 3.15. Jesus, God spoke to the serpent and to the woman. 
and said, there will, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, that's Satan and the woman, between thy seed, the seed of Satan, and her seed, the seed of woman, which would be Jesus Christ. It said, thou, Satan, you'll bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. So Satan, as he was hammering the nails into Jesus Christ's flesh, was nailing his own death sentence. Jesus Christ was not killed. He accomplished his own death on the cross. And in doing that, the thoughtless ones did not know that he was conquering their death and making possible their life. They watched him there, and they had no idea what was going on. Do you know that most people are ignorant onlookers to the reality of what's going on in the world? You know what the Bible says? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness in high places. Is that what the Bible says? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, fleshly, but spiritual to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Thoughtless ones. Let's not us be thoughtless Christians. Let's be conscious Christians, aware. Let's be sober, the Bible says. Let's be vigilant. Let's walk circumspectly, knowing what's going on around us. Let's not us be like the thoughtless ones who watched him there that day watching him there they thought themselves beholding the release of one man's spirit from one man's body in reality in that moment was occurring the release of millions of soul from de- souls from death and from hell they watched him there how about the lordly roman citizens remember what paul said when he was being attacked He said, you just struck a Roman citizen. Everything changed then. You see, these Roman citizens were very proud of their citizenship. We know about the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, and the Roman roads that allowed people to travel, and the safety that that, those Roman roads provided. And these citizens were very proud of it. The Roman citizen, the lordly Roman citizen, standing in his pride from a preferred vantage point amid the crowd, marked to them marked the removal of an influence threatening their financial security, threatening the Roman peace and the imperial rule. Humanistic blindness caused them to miss the fact in this hour was released a power that would shake the world. This event would topple Emperor Caesar from his throne. The lowly dying Nazarene, hanging in agony and dying on the cross, would one day rule over an empire of which Caesar's throne would just be a small part. They watched him there. You know, one day that king is returning. What's going to happen is first he's going to come and every saved person will be taken out of this world. If you're not born again, you will stay here. And during those seven years, there are going to be seven trumpet judgments or seven scroll judgments. And in those seven scroll judgments, a quarter of the world's population will die. And then the seventh judgment is the first of the trumpet judgments. And in those trumpet judgments, another third of the world's population will die. And the seventh of those trumpet judgments is the beginning of the vile judgments where God pours out his wrath on this earth where all the green grass is destroyed, a third of the trees, a third of the water, all of the the fish and the whales in the sea. The beasts are going to come down and kill the cattle and people are going to die. It's going to be a horrible, horrible thing. And nations are going to come and still make war against Israel. And the Bible says, and still they repented not of their evil deeds. They won't do it. 
At the end of those seven years, Jesus Christ is going to return. And He's going to heal the land. And then He's going to rule and reign for a thousand years and judge the nations righteously. He's going to rule over the entire earth, a kingdom that Rome could have only dreamed about. And Jesus was going to do it in righteousness. Those Romans, those Roman citizens who thought He was a threat to their kingdom had no idea who was on that cross. They watched Him there. People who had experienced Christ's healing love, they watched Him there. In that crowd were doubtless some who had seen the Savior's miracles of mercy, possibly some who had felt the touch and healing power of these hands that were now nailed to the beam. I wonder if that blind man who, had, who He had healed, I wonder if he was there. I wonder if those lepers that he had healed, I wonder if they were there. I wonder if those that he raised from the dead, I wonder if any of them were there to see him die. We know that Mary Magdalene was there. Those that, that loved him, that loved him more than life itself, I wonder how many of those were there. Some, no doubt, knew of his love and unfailing compassion and watching him die would have said within themselves, this is the world, this is the way love is repaid. Love is always defeated by hate. But they were wrong. They were wrong. In this hour, His hour, God's love was triumphant. God's love for man to give His Son. A Savior's love poured out in His lifeblood. In that hour of sacrificial love, love even for the enemies who nailed Him there, His heart was broken and love poured out in water and in blood to wash away men's sins and redeem poor, erring sinners unto himself, making them heirs and joint heirs with him. Can you imagine? Think about this. That Christ who is on the cross, he's had the flesh ripped from his body. He's had a, a crown of thorns pounded into his skull. He's been beaten with sticks. He's been beaten with fists. He has been pierced with nails. He's hanging on that cross. And you know what he says? Those of you, I'm going to make you an heir and a joint heir with me. I'm going to make sure that you have an equal part in the family of God with me. You know that he would have given that to the man who had the hammer? He would have given that to the one who held the nails? He would have given that to the soldier that pierced him with the spear? He would have given it to the ones that spat upon him and beat him and mocked him? That's our Savior. That's Christianity. That's, can you forgive? Is there someone right now that you have unforgiveness toward? Did they do any of this to you? That's the Savior. That's who we are to be like and we can be like through the power of the Holy Spirit. They watched Him there. The self-righteous watched Him there. They said, today we are seeing the triumph over crime and oppression in the name of the law on this Passover Eve. They did not know they were watching the divine mercy right an end of the dispensation of the law on this Passover. They were seeing the Passover lamb on the cross. It all pointed to him. It all pointed to him. They did not recognize the sacrifice of the Passover lamb of which that lamb in Egypt was the type or comprehend that his blood sprinkled on men's hearts would cause the wrath of God to pass them by as God passed over the blood-soaked doorways in the land of Goshen. They did not comprehend that they were beholding God's justice triumph in the dawn of His redeeming grace. But the self-righteous, they still watched Him there. The depraved and the wicked, they watched Him there. Look at Matthew chapter 27. Look at verse 37. Remember verse 36, And sitting down, they watched Him there and set up over His head His accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. 
Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand, the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Aren't you glad that God didn't answer that prayer? I am. Likewise, also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Oh, he could. He could. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will save him. For he said, I am the son of God. They knew who he said he was, but they rejected him. One day they will know. One day they will. And even these same people, if they had some time between then and before the time they died, if they had repented of their sin and received Jesus Christ as their Savior, He would have forgiven them all of this and made them heirs and joint heirs with Him together in the family of God. What a wonderful Savior we have. What a wonderful Savior, the depraved and the wicked. They could not see that it was by His own divinity and not the nails and the outstretched hands and pierced feet that He was held on the cross. Even His followers had not understood His meaning when He said that no man took His life from Him that he laid it down willingly. You know, the disciples didn't believe that he would die. That's why they fled. Then we watch him there. We watch him there. I don't like pictures of the crucifixion. I don't like it. Uh, I don't think any artist has ever rendered what it actually looked like. Do you remember on the Emmaus Road when they saw when Jesus Christ was walking with him? They didn't recognize him. When Mary saw him right outside the tomb, she thought he was a gardener. She didn't recognize him. Why? Uh, sometimes we have this idea that it was some spiritual blindness. No, his face was gone. You know, the Jewish beard, it was completely ripped out. His face was gone. He was marred, his visage was marred more than any other man, the Bible tells us. He was not recognizable as that person. In Revelation chapter 5, when John is taken up and he sees heaven, he sees Jesus Christ as a lamb having been slain. That's what Jesus Christ looked like and still looks like today. One man wrote, at the death, and e or at death, Listen to this. At death and even before, two roads diverge. Hell lies down one and heaven up the other. And where the turnpike splits hangs the God-man who illuminates my choice of destinies. I daily stop like Bunyan's pilgrim and look up into that faithful thorn-ringed face. I cannot look too long for just the shortest glance. For just the shortest glance causes me to lower my eyes and beg him answer grace's greatest question. Is all of this for me? I look at the cross and I realize that it was for me. Do you remember the one thief? We're not going to turn there, but in the Gospel of Luke, we learn that one of the thieves said to the other, don't, don't revile him. We deserve this. You don't deserve this. And he looked at Jesus and he said, Master, Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Can I ask you a question? What good works could that thief on the cross do? 
None. He could do the same amount of good works you and I can do. All he could do was believe that Jesus Christ is God, the Savior, and trust in Him. You know, we should have suffered there. Not the Roman soldiers, nor Pilate's orders, nor hostile Jewish priesthood, but our sins nailed Him there. By our own rejection and denial of His rule within our lives, we wove the thorns into a crown to be beaten into His brow. Each of us has a share in the stripes that were laid on his back. Each blasphemy of an uncontrolled tongue cut deeply into his flesh. He was stung by the cords of our rebellion. He was cut deeply by the stubbornness of our pride and self-will. We watch him there. The old Methodist preacher Bob Jones said, Those nails were mined out of the evil pits and dark galleries of our vain sinful thoughts, heated at the fires of our lusts, forged on the anvil of our hatred, and driven into his quivering flesh by the hammer of our depravity. Each stinging, nerve-wracking blow, a sin that we committed. That tree became a cross because it was a cross we fashioned, fashioned from the gifts God gave us, perverted to our own selfish pleasure from talents which yielded to God might have blessed the world, but which we used for self and sinful gratification, fashioned from these was His cross. Do you you realize that on that cross, Jesus was paying for your sin? He was paying for my sin. If If I was the only person alive, Jesus would have gone to that cross. And on that cross, he was thinking about Jim Alter. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. And yet, we so lightly consider sin. At the Battle of Britain, Winston Churchill challenged the people of England. He said, let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties. So bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say, this was their finest hour. I wonder if Christ returns, say, in the next five years, if men could look at Sydney, Ohio, and look at the people of Grace Baptist Church and say, for Christ, this was their greatest hour. Do you remember Oscar Schindler? The movie was made about him, Schindler's List. When he died, they said, He saved us. The Jews said, He saved us so the truth could be told. He saved us so the truth could be told. Do you know what he said? I wonder, did we do enough? How many of you here are thankful that Jesus Christ did that for you? Raise your hand. Have you done enough? Could you ever do enough? Can I just make this personal for a minute? We've asked you to take the invite cards and invite the people on your street. Not asking you to go to the cross, not asking you to have the flesh ripped from your body. Just hand out a card. Invite somebody for us to tell them about Jesus. Live a holy life. You know what God tells us more than anything? Be thankful. Live for Him. Live for Him. I wonder this morning, have you ever come to the place where you've looked at that Christ on the cross? 
and you said, Jesus, I believe that you're the Savior. I believe that you're God. And I believe that you did that for me, and I deserved it. I deserved to be on that cross. I deserve to go to hell forever. But because you died on the cross, because you were buried for three days and three nights, and then because you rose from the dead, I can have eternal life. I don't deserve it. I can't do anything to gain it. All I can do is receive the gift that you've offered to me of eternal life. Have you done that? Maybe not in those exact words. But if you've gone to Jesus and asked him to save you, have you done that? If you've done that this morning, would you raise your hand? You know if you died today, you'd go to heaven. Jesus Christ is your Savior. If you have not, today could be that day. Today you've seen a very imperfect description of what happened to Christ on the cross. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says it this way, He who knew no sin, Jesus, he knew no sin, was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Here's what happened on the cross. Look at me and I'm done. Here's what happened on the cross. This black Bible, that pictures me. I'm so covered up in sin you can't see me. Jesus Christ is completely clean. He's spotless. On the cross, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for me that I might be made the righteousness of God in him. Do you see this clean hand? That's what God sees when he sees Jim Alter. Many of you, you see me, you know I'm just a sinner. When God sees me, he sees complete sinlessness. Why? Because what he's seeing is the righteousness of his precious son. That's what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me. Can we live for him? Are you thankful that he did that? Will you live for him? If you'll live for him, will you stand? Dear Heavenly Father, you really do not ask very much of us.